And hello and welcome to the reboot of the Virtual House Church. It's been a long time. It's been a few years, actually. Uh, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a background before we get started on the Virtual House Church. What's it all about? What are we doing here? And uh, take you over to virtualhousechurch.com. If you go to virtualhousechurch.com, you'll see a, a number of links in the main menu there. First one there is, uh, well, of course, there's the homepage. Then you have who we are. talks a little bit about Sheila and I and what we were trying to do with all of this. And Virtual House Church actually started because when I first came into an understanding of the Shabbat keeping Sabbath, um, I had a really hard time stopping work on Friday evenings. Uh, this is when I understood Sabbath to begin at sunset on Friday and uh, you know, I had no problem doing it on Saturday, but as a workaholic, I had a really hard time just stopping work and uh, trying to observe it uh, starting Friday evening. So Virtual House Church was really a way for me to stop working and to um, provide a way for my audience on Facebook primarily and also my YouTube channel to uh, get a taste of the things that we were learning in our regular house church that we were attending. And I'll explain how that got started in a minute. Uh, and so that's how Virtual House Church got started. And there's a, another tab there on the left that says What We Believe. I've got a song by Petra. My creed pretty much sums it up, but there's my statement of faith there as far as uh, what the Skiba household believes. And then there's a link called Coming Out of Babylon, and that's really for new people out there. The people that are just coming into this for the first time, they don't really understand it. Uh, what's this all about? How does that work? You know, as somebody who believes in Christ... Uh, so it came largely out of the um, the last chapter of my first book, Babylon Rising, and put a whole bunch of stuff in here. In the beginning, you see Getting Back to Basics 1 and 2. That's when I started my radio show. The Revolutionary Radio Show started with uh, the whole idea of getting back to basics. Man, we got to start over again. And I had uh, my friend Kevin Roberts on, as well as Pastor Michael Thigpen, discussing some of the things that we were doing there. Uh, then there's some uh, video here by Richard Reeves um, and uh, links to his books, Too Long in the Sun and Time is the Ally of Deceit, dealing with what I now refer to as pagan Christianity and how things got kind of screwed up uh, in that regard. Um, video by Jim Staley that radically changed my life, Identity Crisis. Looks like some of the videos have been taken down. I apologize for that. The, this site got started back in 2013 so if you go through the site and you see stuff that's no longer there you know apologize it was there when I built the site but there's a whole bunch of videos uh, on this page for you guys to stay very busy for quite some time issues of Paul and keeping the Sabbath and dietary laws and uh, the feasts and all that's just a ton of information on there for people who are just getting started into all of this um, then there's a uh, the, the virtual house church store You'll see I've got a link to the 2019-2020 calendar. That is now out of date. We are in the new Hebrew calendar. And uh, my co-host, one of my co-hosts that's going to be on in a minute here, Kevin Roberts, he and his wife are the ones that put these calendars together. And they've informed me that they have the calendar for this current year. Uh, I have not yet put it up yet. So probably by next week, that will be on this page here for you guys to check out, uh, both in PDF as well as if you wanted to get a print copy. Uh, so um, there's also the Zadok calendar so for those who are doing that calendar put out by myhouseministries.net um, they graciously provided that and then of course the uh, Torah study workbooks which I'll show you uh, my workbook for the uh, this 
uh, study of the book of Numbers. These are available on Amazon individually, or you could get the whole five set uh, through us through that PayPal link right there. So that really just helps you to uh, keep all of your notes in one place. As you start doing this for a number of years, you'll find that the deeper you go, the more notes you're going to have. And unless you have one place to put them all in, you're going to have notes scattered all over the place like I did. That's one of the reasons why I put this together. So then underneath that, you have the weekly Bible studies. And this week's study is Bamidbar, and that is week number 34. Uh, here and it covers numbers 1 through 4 Hosea chapter 1 verse 10 through 2 20, uh, chapter 2 verse 23 and in the New Testament Luke 16 1 through 17 10 and 1 Corinthians 12 12 through 31 so that's uh, the the um, scriptures for this week's study and there's a ministry out there uh, that I found early on called uh, Parsha in 60 seconds and what they do is they essentially distill the um, the the Torah portion down into a 60-second soundbite with uh, visuals. So just to get us started here, I'm going to go ahead and play that for you, and then I'll bring on my other hosts, and we will kick this thing off here. Here we go. Shalom, and welcome to Parsha in 60 seconds. Today's portion is from Numbers 1-1 through 4-20. It is called Bamidbar, which means in the desert, in the wilderness, in the second month of the second year following the exodus from Egypt, God directed Moses to take a census of Israelite men aged 20 years and up. There were 603,550 in all. Levites could not do military service, but were in charge of the tabernacle. If outsiders came close, they would be killed. God instructed a camp formation to protect the tabernacle. The Levites were consecrated to God in place of all the firstborn of the other tribes. They took care of Aaron and the priests. There were 22,300 Levites total. There were 273 more firstborn of Israel than there were Levites, so God took five shekels per person and gave them to the priests. Moses and Aaron took a separate census of the Kohathites between the ages of 30 and 50. They were in charge of carrying all the sacred objects. They were not to see the objects uncovered, or they would die. And that is Bamidbar in 60 seconds. <laughs> they had clips there from Indiana Jones when their faces were melting. <laughs> that's, that's pretty clever. All right, so, um, oops, let me uh, stop this here. YouTube wants to keep on going. All right, so, um, uh, this year we're going to do things a little bit differently. Uh, we'll see how it works. We may this may evolve over time. Uh, we'll see. But for now, uh, I have two other co-hosts with me: Kevin Roberts and Jake Grant. Now, for those of you who followed Virtual House Church early on, uh, you may recall me talking about uh, my friend that I was meeting at his house. He's the one that got this whole thing started. And actually, what had happened was. Uh, it was uh, 10 years ago, 2010, uh, it was Black Friday, and I was, Sheila and I both were going through a drought, um, like, it seemed like every church that we went to was really watered down, it was like milkshake, everything was a milkshake bar, and we were wanting to go deeper, I mean, we were looking for steak dinners, you know, something, please, uh, and it was like every church service was a rock concert followed by a milkshake bar, you know, seven-point PowerPoint on the latest television show or whatever. Uh, we were like, come on, man. Um, and we went ha um, church hopping for a while. Couldn't find anything. So then eventually we started doing church on the pillow is what we called it. We would just lay in bed and surf for something online that we could listen to. Um, and then it was Black Friday. And I, you know, it's a good time to get 
stuff like at a, a computer store. So Fry's Electronics usually had some really good sales. So I was out there for that. But normally I just hate Black Friday. I just I can't stand it. It's only good for computer deals as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I was sitting in the parking lot of um, Fry's Electronics, and I just felt like this heavy weight was sitting on top of me. And it was almost crushing me. And I was like, man, I don't know what this is. It was like this darkness. And uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, you need to pray. And I needed somebody to help me. So I got my phone out. I was just kind of scrolling through my contact list. And when I got to Kevin Roberts, it was like the Holy Spirit said, call him. I said, okay. So I called my friend Kevin. And I said, hey, brother, you know, kind of going through a rough time. You know, would you pray for me? And uh, he, he said a prayer with me. And then he says, hey, um, listen, uh, his wife's Amanda. He said, Amanda and I are, are going to a Torah study at the Christian bookstore tomorrow morning. You want to go? I'm like, Torah study at the Christian bookstore? What are you talking about? You know, uh, I said, well, you know, I've just we've been, you know, in a drought, crying out for something. You know, maybe this is the answer to that prayer. So we went to the uh, to the Bible study at the Christian bookstore. And it was the Torah portion where Joseph is sold into slavery. And the leader of the that was facilitating that, uh, Pastor Michael Thigpen, he said, draw a line down the center of your page. I had a little notebook. Draw a line down the center and write Joseph on the left and Yeshua on the right or Jesus and come up with as many parallels as you can think of between the two. Now, I was aware that there were parallels, but I never really spent any time thinking about it until then. And so I did that, and wow, I had like 25 parallels just off the top of my head. And uh, everybody else, you know, about the same. So when everybody was sharing, a lot of us had the same ones. But some people had other ones. And there's probably close to 50 by the time we were finished. And uh, in that same Torah portion, we have the situation where Judah marries a Canaanite. And the question came up, was Ka- was Tamar uh, a Canaanite, the, the, the one that he tried to marry off to his sons? And I was like, no way. There's no way he could be a Canaanite because that's in the line of Yeshua. And about half the class thought that, yeah, she was, and the other half, no. And so we got into this big discussion, and, you know, I became obsessed. I went home, and I started digging, and, like, this was such a joyous occasion for me because we were digging deep, and we were having, like, hour-long Bible studies, and I'm like, wow, this is a massive snake there, you know, uh, and we were hooked. And so that's when we started doing um, tour studies. After that, we went every week until we outgrew the Christian bookstore there, and I had since gotten a um, video production studio that could seat quite a number of people. So I said, hey, why don't you guys come over here? So we started doing it at our video production studio for a while. And then that group grew. And uh, we had a healthy church split. It was, was not over any dispute or anything. It was just we outgrew everything. And so uh, there was a group that stayed with uh, Michael Thigpen. And Kevin had been praying for a while and feeling led that maybe he should start leading a group. So uh, since he was the one that got us there and since I knew him, he was a friend of ours. He and Amanda, uh, Sheila and I went there, and we had an amazing time there. That first year, uh, I learned more in that first year than all 40-something years prior doing the regular uh, regular church thing. So it is my great privilege and joy to welcome back Kevin Roberts. Uh, I haven't seen him since he moved to North Carolina, you know, a few years ago and uh, been missing him. And uh, so for the sake of my audience, and everybody else out there, finally you get to meet Kevin. Kevin, are you there? You can. Uh, I sure sure am, Rob. There there we go. No, I, Wonderful build-up. I appreciate it. You, you always uh, were a very loyal and good friend. And and I, and if I recall, the day that you did call me, you were like, "Dude, Kevin, I, I, 
can't turn my mind off. I'm, I'm tired. I can't sleep, but I just can't shut it off. I need a break. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, have you ever heard of the Shabbat or the Sabbath? You know, it's like a divine hall pass. You know, you actually get to take a break and you get to say, here's my card that says I have permission to not be working right now. You might try that out and see what you think. And here we are. So that, that was a that was a really special time, Robin. And I appreciate it. I remember the time in the, the studio there in East Plano. That was really a that was a, a very nice, intimate setting, and um, it, you know, we, we have a lot of great memories, I have to say, and I, and I appreciate very much inviting me to, to come back out here with you today. Yeah, right on. And, of course, uh, many of you in my audience out there already know Jake. Uh, Jake was uh, uh, doing a lot of stuff with Now You See TV there for a while, and he's kind of doing some stuff on his own, and uh, he, he heard that I was getting ready to restart a few things, and he's like, man, how can I help? Anything, anything I can do to help? I'm like, Dude, come on on. So, Jake, good to have you, man. Yeah, it's great to be here, Rob. Uh, Virtual House Church was, uh, we probably was involved for about a year um, back when we were doing it in 2016, 2017 time frame. Um, but it was always great. Um, I mean, I've only been really keeping Sabbath myself for probably five years. And uh, and it's just been awesome to learn more and more as we go through the cycles. And, and whenever I heard you wanted to restart this, um, I definitely saw a need of a lot of people out there who just kind of want a fellowship. They want to study scripture, and, and I, I wanted to help out any way I could. So it's good to be here, Rob. <laughs> yeah, right on. Uh, and, uh, Jake, whenever you're not talking, if you can mute, uh, Jake's Jake's in a, in a camper right now, and it's really hot there, so he's got a fan going on. So just, uh, just, it's just so we can uh, kind of keep the sound pretty clean. Uh, but whenever you need to talk, whatever, go ahead and unmute. So um, the uh, scriptures for this study uh, are Numbers 1 through 4, as I mentioned, in Hosea and Luke and in 1 Corinthians. Hopefully you guys did your homework uh, before you attended here today. I, I recommended that you go to the Virtual House Church and you know either watch the uh, 2014 study or just read the scriptures so you already have that in mind. So to save time, we're not going to be going through the scriptures again as far as reading them. We're going to just get jump right into uh, commenting on them. Oh, one more thing before I forget uh, that I wanted to let everybody know about is uh, I also restarted the Virtual House Church group on Facebook. So if you just uh, go to Facebook and punch in Rob Skiba's Virtual House Church, you should be able to find it and you can send me a request to join it. Uh, I had to shut it down before. It got pretty heated in there. People bring, you know, as as tends to happen, people get passionate and you know, want to make converts of stuff of people for whatever their view is. And it just started becoming not a safe place to attend. It became kind of ugly. So as long as we can keep it civil, I will keep it open. But if it starts de degrading into that again, I'm going to shut it down. But uh, otherwise, you can join in there. For the sake of this broadcast, um, if you guys have questions related to the uh, scriptures that you see on the screen there, go ahead and type them into the live chat here on YouTube and uh, Jake and I will be monitoring that and uh, if we see them as in the in the course of this broadcast um, we will certainly try to get them now I know Kevin only has about 45 minutes left so I'm going to turn it over to you Kevin uh, and you can go ahead and start talking about uh, whatever you feel led to discuss regarding this week's Torah portion and other scripture readings and anything else that might be on your heart all right. Well, well, I definitely appreciate that that opportunity. And one of the things that that I would would mention, Rob, is, you know, 
a lot of times it, it comes down to why wh why are we interested in in these things and I, and I think this tour portion is is a very pivotal stage because if you think about it from the perspective like Genesis you get the whole you know the love of our father and how he's constantly pursuing us and there's this there's this eternal battle between you know the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman and and you see how every time uh, you know, Satan thinks he's got the upper hand. There's this avenue he didn't figure. And, and, and when you read the account all the way up through Joseph, you realize how faithful our Heavenly Father is and how he's got this amazing plan. You know, and then Exodus, how he delivered us from the slavery of sin and the whole thing about how he, he handled, you know, the, his covenant people at the time and, and pulled them out of slavery and then brings them out into this wilderness experience to teach them how to live. And then the book of Leviticus is about drawing them, like teaching them, okay, do that and and how do we draw near to him safely because there's a, a bit of a protocol involved there so um, so where we are in this narrative is you know coming into to numbers or Bamid bar and can you see my screen am I showing the um, the PDF at this point yep I can see it okay perfect so why to me this is such a practical uh, piece of real estate in the Bible is in our half to our backs it up I mean, our Heavenly Father has this plan, and His Son, Yeshua, laid it out perfectly for us about one day He's going to regather us from all the nations to which we've been scattered. And, and if you read the half Torah portion, you realize we've acted like a bunch of harlots, right? Mm -hmm. we, we've chased the ways of the world. We've followed their commands. We've participated in their systems. And, and, it's, it, and that, I mean, that's fine, except when they completely counteract exactly what our Heavenly Father's told us to do. And so he promises that he's going to take us into a wilderness-like experience. And, and so of numbers, Bamid Bar, um, it, it is, to me, like lessons that we can learn about our attitudes, especially my attitude, like am I going to be complaining all the time? As, as we see this, we start seeing a lot of what's valuable to him, and, and we, we pick up, you know, what, what, is it, what does our mindset need to be? And so let me just, uh, I thought I had a, if I go into full screen, give me one second here. I'm, I'm a lot better with other applications, you know, uh, at work. So, and, and as you mentioned, here's the, the core text for today. Uh, the numbers, the Hosea, Luke, and Corinthians. And, and one of the things I want to show you, and this kind of helps people understand, you know, why. And, and because if I can be a little contagious with some enthusiasm about studying these things, and you understand why, then, then you'll have a whole level of, a greater level of purpose and a, a greater desire to seek it out. And, um, and, and really, the, the whole Torah portion begins with the, with the phrase, you know, Vayedaber Yahuwah El Moshe B'midvar Sinai. Okay, so it's like, and, and Yahweh said to Moses, and he speak to the children in the wilderness of B'midvar and Sinai. So, so the reason we have this name of this Torah portion, Bar, it's a key word in the first verse. So it kind of tells you where to start reading. And so um, I had a great uh, Hebrew teacher named Dr. Joel Young, and, and you have a, another testimony for another day uh, about uh, your interaction with him, which is completely <laughs> yeah. uh, a Yah appointment. But he was my most in, you know, influential of, that I've, I've had in and uh, he has this concept of, you know, having this Hebrew alphabet and you can see the letters and each of the letters has meanings. And there's rabbinic tradition that says, you know, every letter has seven meanings and every word has 70 meanings. But 
it's not that you can make it mean whatever you want, right? They're all related somehow. And so I've kind of laid out the, the Bemidbar here in the Hebrew. So you can kind of see like the bait. It, it looks like a little shelter there. You can see the, you can see how it's got a covering and it's, it, it represents a house. It literally is a preposition, you know, Bemidbar in Midbar will, and uh, it relates to family. So these are, again, the concepts. The Mem relates to the Messiah because he, you know, out of him comes the mighty waters. You know, the Dalit is the, the third letter, and it's it's the way, the door, the path, it's a gate. It's it's basically how do you get into the fenced-off area, right? And, and then Beit Reish is a Hebrew word um, called bar, which is it's actually an Aramaic word. It means son. <clears throat> you probably heard of people saying they're going to have a bar mitzvah, right? It's the son of the commandment. And so just looking at this, I wanted to show you guys something. What does it mean to be in the wilderness? And so this Beit, which means in, and Midbar is wilderness. So let's break down wilderness. And the Midbar here is the Mim being the Messiah, and Davar is his word. So it's like out in the wilderness, that strong, mighty Messiah can start shedding light on his word. He can give you his word. And what is the word, the bar? It, it, the Dalit is the path, and the bar is the sun. So the word is the path or the way of the sun. He is the one that shares it with us when he takes us out to the wilderness to help clean us up. And so that's why I love this book so much, because we can really look, examine our, our attitudes. And so, again, in the wilderness, the Messiah, he calls us out so that he can strengthen us by his word. And what is that word? It's the path and it's the way of the sun. And so and one other example that I wanted to bring, it's, it's not related to this Torah portion, but it is related to the scapegoat. And right, uh, hold on, just a, I just, I just want to yes. just want to clarify for those that may be just listening the w- the way of the S O N son, <laughs> not the Absolutely. not the S U N son, uh, which is where uh, Christianity got uh, uh, taken off course by a sun worshiper. So the way of the S O N son. That, that thank you very much for that that very important clarification. We're not talking about the Shemesh, the sun in the sky. We're talking about the bar, right. the son of Elohim. <laughs> Amen. So uh, that's exactly right. Um, so, so this Leviticus, so what we see happening is, you know, during the Day of Atonement, you know, the priest puts his head on, or his hands on the head of this, what we call the scapegoat, right? Confesses the sin of the nations over it. And then it says that the goat will carry on itself. He'll bear the sin of the nation and it'll be sent to a remote place. And then the man or the priest will release him into the wilderness. And so if you try to go into the wilderness without the sun, what you end up with is, again, the Midbar, you end up with, you, you take away Bar from Midbar, which leaves you with uh, the Dalit and the Mim, and that's the Hebrew word Dam, which is blood. So without the sun in the wilderness, you're, you're, you're dead. Okay, so he is our, he is our life. And so, so I just, like I said, I just wanted to share that kind of as a preamble, you know, as we get into looking at this. And so we'll be wondering, well, what's up with the census? And why are these numbers? And why are the tribes laid out the way they are? And how does this relate you know, to different prophecies and signs that the Lord has for us? And so it's the glory for Yahweh to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. So I'm trying to give a little inspiration as to why we would want to search this out. So I'll take a break, and that way we can, you know, <laughs> well, I'll just open it up so we can all have open conversation about our observations here. But I appreciate the opportunity to kind of kick that off. Yeah, right on. Thank you. Um, I mentioned earlier in the broadcast the uh, numbers workbook 
here's here's my numbers workbook right here uh, and on the back of the workbook uh, you see the the shape of a cross back here and that was one of the things that caught my attention early on is when you look at the because it's called numbers because that's when you start numbering the people right uh, and uh, Bamid Bar that happened in the wilderness that's the the, the, the opening Torah portion Bamid Bar in the wilderness um, and what I noticed was because it gives you the the um, the the numbers of the tribe which tribe and and where their encampment was and how many people there were uh, in each of those uh, divisions and it when you lay it out it ends up being like a big cross in the wilderness like the people were just laid out like a a great big cross in the wilderness and that just blew me away um, I'll just read it uh, off the back of this here it says in the north uh, you had the uh, the concubine offspring tribes were up there Dan Asher and Naphtali 157,600 people uh, to the west, Rachel's children, uh, you have Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, 108,100 uh, Israelites. Then you have also concubine offspring, uh, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad, 151,450 uh, 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 people uh, gathered there in the south. And in the east, you had Leah's children, children of Leah, uh, where you have Judah, Issachar, and Zebulon. And Judah leads the way in the in the formation because this is they're getting into military mode. The, you know, when Kevin, I know you were in the in the Navy, right? Um, and I was in the Army. And I don't know how much you did this in the Navy, but we used to do do a lot of marching around, and we'd have formations and stuff like that, and we'd have to you know get into columns and you know march and do things. Well, they God was numbering out the uh, the people for fighting. The, the people of fighting age, getting them ready, and there was an order, to uh, the progression to the Israelites leaving the camp. So they would, they would stay camped out for however long until the pillar moved, and it's like, okay, pack up, let's go. And each tribe had a certain duty in packing things up, and and getting things you know organized and ready to move. And then they moved out in a very specific order, and um, Judah led the way. And there's 186,400 people in the. Um, the eastern segment of the wilderness there, which I thought was interesting because currently the speed of light is said to be 186,282 miles per second. And uh, there's evidence that that, that that has slowed down over time. So I began to speculate, wait a minute, if it has slowed down over time, could it be that at the time when this was written, the speed of light was 186,400 miles per second? Pure speculation, I don't know, just something to think about, but it was in the east facing the sun you know, the sunrise. So uh, that was one of the things that, that really caught my attention that I thought was very, very cool about this uh, week's portion. Now, the other thing, I don't know if you'd be able to see this. And by the way, this is, let me uh, switch screens to full screen there so everybody can see this better. This, uh, this shows how each of the pages are laid out. So you have uh, the, the scripture takes up about two-thirds of the page, and then you have about a third of the page for taking notes and doing your own writing. And what I want to point out was, I don't know if you can see this on the screen there, but I kept highlighting the word congregation wherever I saw the word congregation. Because, And correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, I'm trying to remember, I think it's kahal, if if memory yeah. serves, um, congregation or assembly. I think it's kahal. That's correct. That's correct. Um, and yes. that the equivalent of that word in Greek is ecclesia. And that's the word from which in the New Testament we get 
church. So this is the church in the wilderness. It's the church in the wilderness. And what I thought was kind of cool about the the half Torah portion, and just for those who don't understand the terminology, Torah, of course, is the first five books, Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, the prophets portion is called the half Torah. Um, at some point in the distant past, uh, rabbis or whatever figured out that if we go through the Torah in a year, there are portions from the prophets that happen to go along with the division of the Torah for each week. And so uh, after the prophets were written, they started pairing up uh, portions from the prophets that went along with the portions for that week's study in the Torah. And then, of course, when Yeshua came along, the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, uh, people later started to realize, well, hey, there's portions in the New Testament that go along with the half Torah and with the Torah portions. So, hence we have the uh, the three readings, uh, and in, in the readings uh, that we have for this week, all really had to do with the identity of the church. Basically, you know, we have the the Hosea and the whoring and everything like that uh, that took place, and then we have Paul talking about the body and and uh, of Christ and how all that works. So, uh, those are some of the the things that caught my attention for. Uh, this week's study. Jake, you got on. Can you guys hear me? Yep. All right. Yeah, one of the things that stood out to me in this portion uh, was the whole concept of the numbering over the age of 20. Those are the men that are numbered to go out into war, and this becomes significant later on when we realize that it was only Joshua and Caleb who were over the age of 20 who went and spied out the land that were then promised to be able to enter the land, because all the other people over the age of 20 uh, didn't have the faith. They didn't believe that they could go into the land. And so this whole book of numbers, in between this first, the first numbering of the people here at the beginning of chapter 1 in the portion that we're reading, and at the end of the book of numbers, when Joshua, uh, Moses, and Aaron number the people in the plains across from Jericho, um, it, it, it's, uh, it's basically the story of how the people messed up in between and they followed the wide path and not the narrow path. Um, and, and of course you could kind of make the parallel that Joshua and Caleb, because of their faith, you know, they, they were those people who followed the narrow path and were allowed to enter the promised land because they weren't the ones grumbling. They weren't the ones fighting against Moses's leadership. Um, and so seeing the change in the numbers and, and may, I, I made a, a couple little uh, notes here on, on WordPad, I can show you guys later once we kind of get into it, but um, seeing the change in the numbers of the tribes, uh, in, in my opinion, kind of shows how uh, they either uh, were one of the ones really, really acting up, one of the tribes acting up and rebelling against Moses, or they're perhaps one of the tribes that were um, blessed because they were more obedient in, in some of the varying ways, because you can see that at the end of the numbering uh, uh, in this portion we're reading today uh, that changes at the end of the book of Numbers and many uh, so some tribes had many 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 people and at the end of the numbering uh, before they went into the land they had much less than here what we're reading at the beginning of Numbers so uh, seeing that dichotomy and how uh, a tribe either made it through the wilderness um, and had great blessing and, and numbers of people on the outside, other side of it or if they were really hurting and lost a lot of people because of the rebellion. Um, that that was fascinating to me. Not only the fact that all the people numbered at the end of Numbers aren't even the people numbered in this portion we're reading here. So they're the children that are living underneath these numbered coming out of uh, 
the, the exodus. Um, but one last thing uh, that really stood out to me that was really interesting was the premise of the, the, fir the firstborn uh, that is talked about in uh, Numbers uh, chapter 3 relating to um, how uh, the, the Levites basically took this place of the firstborn who were numbered over all of Israel. And, uh, and that was always fascinating to me, um, and it's in Numbers 3. We'll get to that later on once we get into this. But um, in the firstborn of all of Israel, there were 22,273 people, and there were 22,000 uh, Levites that were numbered um, as we get into this, this portion. And so it was that above and beyond number of 273 that had to be redeemed by uh, the the. the uh, five shekels apiece, um, according to the shekels of the sanctuary given to the Levites. So um, there's this interesting thing that a, a number uh, of of exchange has to be passed to redeem the firstborn of Israel. And we learn those numbers and how the, the Levites almost perfectly paralleled the number of firstborns when you counted all the tribes and the number of Levites were so close. Uh, it, it, so it was just a, a fascinating uh, thing and and um we can get we can look into more of that as we kind of get on and discuss but some, some of those seem to be the most nominal parts of this portion that stood out to me yeah right on somebody in the chat room was asking uh, a question is following the torah walking the narrow path kevin what are your thoughts on that well i think following yeshua is the narrow path and yeshua is the torah that became flesh and has shown us the way so that we don't fall into mere legalistic compliance with a checklist, but that we operate according to the spirit that's guiding us into truth, that's drawing us into a loving marriage type relationship that's based on love and trust and, and helping out each other as opposed to, did you meet your checklist today or not? More of a military style, or are we going to kick you out of the company? You know, <laughs> So that's, that's kind of how I see it. I think it's I think it's the constitution of the kingdom, and if you want to have a successful relationship with our heavenly Father, uh, this is what Yeshua is calling us back to because it's what makes us unique in the world. Yeah, absolutely, I agree with that. Um, you know, broad is the way that leads to destruction, right? Narrow is the path, and you'll find that when you start trying to obey God, you know, wow, what a concept, right? <laughs> As believers. The, the whole idea that we maybe should obey the guy that we, you know, the God that we claim to believe, you know, that might just be a good idea. You will find that it is indeed a narrow path because there's not a whole lot of people that uh, that understand that. They'll say, well, we only have two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. Well, we seem to have a general understanding of what it means to love our neighbor, but what does it mean to love God? Well, First John chapter 5 tells you, point blank. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Now, everybody here on this uh, panel right now, we all agree that salvation is by grace through faith alone and not of works, lest any man should boast. So hear, hear us now. We're not saying you need to be doing this, that, or the other thing to be saved. That's been done already. But First John chapter 2 says, if any man says that we know him and it doesn't keep the commandments, then he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. Because when we say we've accepted Christ as our Savior, He comes in, we say we believe that He comes into our heart, right? And that He has written His laws on our heart. Well, when something's on your heart, it should compel you to do it. You know, if, 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 if I felt like, man, you know, Kevin's really been on my heart today, uh, that would compel me 
to call him up and say, hey, brother, you know, you've really been on my heart today. How's it going, man? Uh, and anytime that has ever happened to me, when I felt like somebody, the Holy Spirit was putting somebody on my heart, uh, and then I would reach out to them, it always happens that they did need something, that they were, for whatever reason, crying out for whatever, you know, um, and I was, in that case, obedient. I obeyed the, the, the prompting that was on my heart to do. I obeyed it, and I contacted the person, and they're like, you know, thank you, brother. I really needed somebody to pray with right now. Well, that's the same thing. If his law has been written on our heart, well, if it's on your heart, it should compel you to do it. <laughs> um, and But, of course, as soon as you start doing that, it does become a, a narrow way. And, Kevin, maybe you could share, by way of an example, uh, what happened with you and Amanda regarding Christmas? Because I know you came off the page first, that you were, you know, not wanting to do Christmas anymore. And in the uh, Roberts household, Christmas used to be a big deal. And Amanda wasn't quite on that page at first. And as I recall the story, you went away on a business trip, and you're like, oh, man, when I get back, I know it's going <laughs> to... Uh, why don't you share the story, well, if you would? It, it, it is kind of funny, because... I felt a real strong tug from a heavenly father. And, and the more I learned about these things, um, see, it, it's kind of funny. I learned to treat the Bible like a surgical scalpel, but instead of applying it to everybody else's cancerous tumors, I started saying, wait a minute, I have cancerous tumors. And so usually what I present the scriptures as a blessing and what people can do and, and, and make it so that they'll be interested enough to dig in it for themselves to give the Holy Spirit opportunity to start work but when it comes to me i'm like oh my gosh i gotta cut this away i gotta do you know I'm, I'm ruthless with myself right and and so when you know you go from those people are like this antichrist spirit so wait a minute do i have antichrist spirit or those people are acting like a harlot am i acting like a harlot and then when i started like all the sins like especially throughout the book of hosea you know you have the sins of judah and the time they're unique and he seems to be addressing two groups of people. And I'm like, I'm totally identifying with this. And then it finally dawned on me you know, when I was reading Jeremiah, you know, about when essentially if you read Jeremiah chapter 10, if he, he doesn't describe a Christmas tree there, then whoever came up with a Christmas tree contact, you know, concept did it out of defiance of Jeremiah's word because it couldn't be a better example, you know, about how the how they, they go off into the field and cut down this green tree and they bring it into their house and it's, they have to put it up on a stand and they decorate it with silver and gold. And then he says, don't do that. It's all vain. And and I just kind of came away with that thinking, if there's any chance that something like this could, could be offensive to my heavenly father. I mean, if I say he's mad at these people because of these sexual behaviors or he's mad at these people because they're unfaithful then if they can make him mad, then how could I not make him mad? I mean, I'm not, I mean, I have children. Sometimes they make me mad, right? I still love them, but they make me mad, right? But if it's possible to make him mad, is it possible to bring him joy? And if it's possible to bring him joy, how does that work, right? Well, he says, well, just do what I ask you to do. And I think about it, you know, as a father, if you catch your kids doing, you know, they cut the grass without you having to ask them, even though you mentioned it last week, you're like, hey, and you want to bless them because you're like, they, I, they're doing what they're supposed to do. You know, and, and it brings the father great pleasure, and, and that's the way I, I look at it. I want to bring my, my, my father great pleasure. So so I came to these conclusions, and I was pretty radical. You know, I was ready to anything that even looked like an idol. You know, I smashed it and created shrapnel and cut myself and had, you know, I mean, it, it, the whole thing was crazy. But so, so, and I was trying to explain it to my wife, but it was so early on, 
and and I wasn't very good at explaining it. I just had a passion, any you know structure around it, and I really didn't know anybody who was thinking this way. And I thought I lost my mind. It was uh, July seventh of two thousand, after all, and I know you know that date <laughs> when all this hit, right? And and I was trying to explain to my wife, and it was very you know important to both of our families, and. I just couldn't explain it well, so I just continued, you know, just having our normal, regular church experience. But meanwhile, I'm like inside, I'm like, this is crazy. But I went. My daughter was working for Disney World, um, and she was on the college program, and she had uh, was her assignment was over, and she was ready to come home. So I flew out to Orlando to pick her up and drive her back home, and you know, and then, but as soon as I'm out of the way, right, with all of my biases and all my pride and everything else. The Lord downloaded onto Amanda how he felt about these things, and she kept calling me, Kevin, did you know it said this? I'm like, well, yeah, why didn't you tell me? I said, well, I tried. I just didn't know how, and I felt so inadequate as a husband, but then again, I was like, but I'm right, we're together on this. And and my the observation that I had and the, the thought that, that I had on it was, you know, he, hold on one second, um, he he spoke with her and it prevented me from having the pride. And so from that point forward, we were ready to get going on it t- together. And it's, it's been, it's been a journey ever since. So hopefully that wasn't too long winded, Rob. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, but it illustrated a, a good point because, you know, as I recall you talking about it, uh, it was heavy on your heart. You were like, you know, I, I don't want to do these things anymore. I now understand what the Christmas tree represents. I understand the whole Nimrod thing. I understand all this stuff, and I don't want to participate in this anymore. But, you know, Amanda wasn't on that page yet. And for many people, that can be the case where one spouse kind of starts to get something before another one, and it can be very uncomfortable. Uh, you know, uh, and cause a lot of problems sometimes, fights and stuff like that. And you know, I, I think what what you found, what what I found, I've been fortunate. Sheila and I have come along, you know, parallel. So it hasn't so far there hasn't been anything that I've any path that I've gone down that she didn't go down with me. So I've been fortunate in that regard. But I know a lot of people that's not the case. And from what I've seen in any time I've, I've observed that is that uh, you can't change your spouse. <laughs> You, right. you may think you can, you may try to, but you can't. And, you know, you, you were like, you know, you tried, but you didn't really know how, and it wasn't wasn't working, but you were praying, like, Father, man, you're going to have to do it, <clears throat> you know? Uh, and, and, and and the thing is, that's exactly how he didn't want me running around lording it. See, I do is look at my great insight, my great wisdom, whatever, you know, he's like, no, when I'm ready, I'll let you know, and, and you'll just be glad. And, and it's just been a, a wonderful journey ever since. And and so I'm actually thankful the, that he did it the way he did it because then it's it's not like, you know, yeah. she ever listened to me. She listened. She got it from him, and now we're, we're you know, partners in this together, and it's wonderful. Yeah. And uh, what did she stumble across uh, Truth or Tradition or something like that, I think, by Jim Staley? Or do you yes. Remember? Oh yes, she she went when 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 she got the ideas on this, she was very passionate as well, and she remains very passionate to this day. And um and so yeah, Jim Staley's uh, identity crisis was huge. Um, you know, and and a lot of people, you know, Michael Rood is pretty controversial in his approach and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. you know, if you're as hard headed as I was, sometimes you need a strong word. Like, and uh, we all have, we're one body, many parts, right? And we see that in the Torah portion this week, right? We have all these different tribes, all these different functions, right? 
and he definitely has a has a part in the body and and I was it, it, I learned a lot in those early days you know from him and lots of ministries but uh mm-hmm. but yeah I would say Jim Staley was probably one of the most influential uh teachers at the time um and and was just a huge blessing to hear about Passion for Truth Ministries and it was really good yeah right on uh, there was another question I saw in the chat room. Um, <clears throat> uh, are the ceremonial Sabbaths to be understood in light, I guess, of Second or Colossians two sixteen, Hosea two eleven? Um, there's a, a parallel website to Virtual House Church that uh, I eventually ended up creating called Ephraim Awakening. It's EphraimAwakening.com is the website, and basically all the blogs and stuff that you see on here were Facebook notes and things that I'd written from like 2013 and through 15, really uh, just dealing with a lot of these questions on Facebook. You know, what are we supposed to be doing in Colossians? You know, don't judge and all this stuff. And I actually addressed that one. There's a whole category here uh, under Paul, you know, uh, stuff that Paul had written that people, because everybody wants to try to quote Paul to say we don't have to be doing this stuff anymore. And Colossians 2.16 is one of them. This was a blog that I wrote uh, December 24th, interestingly enough, <laughs> um, 2013, I said, what is rather humorous slash sad is how Christians will try to use Colossians 2.16 as a means to refute what I've been saying concerning pagan holidays. Colossians 2.16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath. The problem is their context is completely reversed. <clears throat> Verse 8 talks about not being spoiled by the traditions of men. Cough, cough, like traditions, cough. (laughs) Uh, Colossians 2.16, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, not after Christ. Verse 15 talks about how Christ spoiled principalities and powers who are the ones who inspired the traditions of men. Colossians 2.15, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Now, with the above in proper context, verse 16 is encouraging believers not to let pagans judge them for doing the things of God, you know, like the true holy days of Leviticus 23, new moons and Sabbaths, which you'll note in verse 17 are all shadows of Christ, Colossians 2:16 and 17. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of the things to come, but... The body is Christ. The sh- a shadow proceeds from and points to its subject, which in this case is the body of Christ, casting said shadow. That is the purpose of the holy days, new moons, which start months and feasts and Sabbaths. The remaining verses pick up where verse 8 left off by stating that believers should not let men beguile you and set you off to worship angels. Verse 20 says that if we are in Christ, we should not partake in the rudiments of the world, nor should we subject ourselves to the commandments and doctrines of men. Colossians 2, 18 uh, through 22. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth in the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world... Why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men? Most people use Colossians 2.16, who used Colossians 2.16, have totally twisted and distorted the entire context of the verse. Verse 16, to justify uh, 
participating in the traditions, commandments, and doctrines of men at the expense of the things of God. The spirit of the principle is to obey God and not men. It is to do what's right and not get involved in the things of the world. They've tortured the text to mean something it does not in order to hold on to the vain traditions of men. Mark 7. He answered and said to them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cuts, cups and many such things ye do. And he said to them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. So it's so ironic to me that many people will try to use Colossians 2.16 to say we don't need to be doing this, but that's, it's the meaning of Colossians 2.16 is the exact opposite. He's saying don't let people judge you, new believer in Christ, for doing the things that you're doing. You know, Don't let them judge you for doing the things that you're doing. It's the exact opposite of what most people try to say. I think uh, with learning the importance of Torah in the walk and life of a believer, uh, for me, what it did was it, it made this practical uh, expression of, of faith uh, that could be empirical. So whenever you look at what God said, if, if he's God, he means what he said, and there's a, a love relationship that's happening when he gives us those commandments. Because what we're going to learn in Numbers as we keep reading into the portion is that when they disobey, when they run away, when they don't want to obey uh, the leadership that God's put in place, Moses, uh, that's when the curses fall on them. That's when they have bad things happening to to the people. They die. They have uh, plagues and boils and all the different things. And so um, whenever we see the commandments of God, uh, there's a purpose uh, for the life of a believer because it protects us from things God doesn't want us to fall into. Uh, just just the 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 consequences of sin. And so it gives a, a empirical way to walk out the faith of a believer. Um, and it's something that we can practically apply. It's not just a philosophical, you know, convincing mind pattern. It's, it's instead, it's the word of God that we can start saying, am I doing this action or am I not doing this action? And if I do this action, uh, by obe obedience, by faith, that this is true, I'm protected from curses, and by obedience, there's blessing. But this is not about salvation, it's about being more like our Savior. And I think that's what's so uh, just intriguing now that the Word of God came alive to so many people, um, because in the Christian church, a lot of people would say, uh, we believe in the whole Word of God, and uh, people believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, they, they look at the Word of God as something that should apply to believers, but there's so much of the Word of God in the Old Testament that uh, is glossed over, skimmed over, that uh, affects our day-to-day -day life. And uh, whether it's the way we eat, the way we dress, the way we uh, treat our neighbor, um, all of these are a loving thing that have been given to us so that when we practice them, we demonstrate our faith as the book of James or, or uh, the book of Jacob as it was previously called before uh, a king jumped in there and wanted some, you know, some of his names found in scripture, but um, uh, the, the book of James talks about this action demonstrated faith, that whenever you walk out the scripture, when you w walk out the Torah, uh, it shows that faith, that love towards our creator who gave those things. Um, and just like a father would want his child to be protected, 
Um, when the child obeys, it makes the father happy. Um, and so uh, whenever we read through these Torah portions, uh, especially in Numbers, we see definitely the consequences of the people that rebel. And the truth is, is the whole word of God is still true today. And so we see that when people rebel even today against the word of God, there are consequences. And so by reading and studying and learning from the areas that they failed in, we can then try to uh, repent, turn away from the areas of our shortcoming as believers today. Yeah, that, that's, that's great, Jake. And, and that one thing I want to add, too, to what you said, because, uh, Rob, you mentioned about the Hosea chapter 2. And, and this is this is kind of how I, I look at that one in particular. This whole thing is about this harlot. And, and she's given all the credit for all the good that she has in her life to the world, to this worldly system. And, and, and so the, the first good bit of it uh, relates to all these judgments that she's going to come under, right? Because she was practicing and worshiping the Baals and, and all this other stuff. And he says in verse 9, I'm going to return and take away my grain in its time and my new wine in its season. I'm going to take back my wool and my linen given to cover up your nakedness. And and he go and he's saying, look, I'm taking it all back. And he goes, and I'm going to take away her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and her appointed feasts. And and if you the way I'm interpreting this, he doesn't take away his own. His yeah. own is commanded, and his commandments endure forever. He takes away her ability to participate with him because she wants to be out with him. And he's like, you, you can't be doing this intimate stuff with me so i'm taking away you can't do this anymore you can go do your own thing and and then he says he's going to destroy her vines and her fig tree well yeshua when he was calling nathaniel he says hey i saw you under your vine and your fig tree and we understand that that's a picture of the millennium he says harlot you're not going to make it to the millennium if you don't change your ways and 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 she goes on about giving the credit to her lovers and he says you know she decked herself with all these earrings and jewelry and she went after her lovers but me she forgot says yahweh but here's the beauty of it all, and this is why I love the way our Heavenly Father, He, even when we are faithless, He remains faithful. And He says here, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, I will woo her, I will draw her and bring her into Bamibar, the wilderness, and I will speak comfort to her, and then I'm going to give her her vineyards there, right? And the Valley of Achor is the door of hope. The Valley of Achor is where Achan got caught with his idols a few weeks in the Torah ago. Right, and that's the gateway going down toward Mount Sinai in the wilderness. And it says that she will sing there as in the days of her youth, because she'll realize she's been cleansed, just like when she was came out of the land of Egypt. And I don't know if you guys remember that, but when they came over, they sang the song of Moses, and they were singing things like, "Yahweh is a man of war. Yahweh is his name." You know, they're like dancing and having a great time. Three days before they were cursing and wondering where their water was. Right, but he says in that day says Yahweh, you will call me my husband and you will no longer call me the Lord, my Baal to my master. And and so he's going to betroth us to him forever. And it's like he has to get our attention because we give all of our credit. I'm not going to say is that might actually get our broadcast cut in the middle of it. Right. But we give all the credit to them. But it's really the Holy Spirit moving in his people with or without technology. He's drawing us to himself. And if he has to take us into the wilderness to have our undivided attention, then I want to be part of it. I want to sit under my vine and my fig tree. I want to sit at the feet of my master. 
I want to see, I want to have some manna sandwiches, right? I want to see the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. I want to, I want to be in the camp where everybody's cheering and they're excited because Yahweh sun is coming in 1260 days and we're coming back together and he's going to rule and reign and we're going to be able to be a part of his plan. It's just the most amazing thing. So, so when he says he takes away her feast, it's because of her disobedience and her lack of care and concern that he's like, fine, I'm not celebrating with you anymore. You know, and so that, that's how I see that. But we, this is a get-to covenant. We get to participate with the Heavenly Father when we do it on His terms. And it's because we want to. And when He pours out His Spirit on it and He causes us to walk in the statutes, it's because we want to. Because it's pretty hard to stop a human from doing something that they want to do. <laughs> so that's, that's the joy I see in all of this. Yeah, and I would also add to that, whenever He's talking to, through the prophets uh, to Israel and saying, I'm against your feasts, or her feasts, uh, many times it's because they had substituted the feasts of Yahuwah and were doing pagan feasts. They, they were incorporating paganism into, this is the whole reason why they, they got in trouble in the first place for whoring after other gods, they say. And so um, he's like, look, I have my feasts. I have my holidays. I'm against your holidays. God's not contradicting himself. Leviticus 23 says, these are my feasts. So later when you see like in Isaiah and other places where he's saying, I'm against your feast, he's not saying he's against the feast of the Jews in the sense of Leviticus 23. People will look at Leviticus 23 and say, well, those are the feasts of Jews. No, it says these are the feasts of yod Vavhe. vav hey, They're his feast. But yeah, the Jews did have feasts and, and the Israelites did have feasts and things that they were doing that were had more to do with Baal than, than Yahuwah. So he's, you know, repeatedly we find him saying, I'm against your stuff, you know. I'm not against my stuff. I'm against your stuff. But I agree with you also that he's like, you know, because of that, you're profaning my stuff. And I'm not even going to let you do that anymore, you know. Um, Kevin, I know you got like a few minutes before you need to go. If there's anything you'd like to share um, before you have to go, uh, feel free. Well, the, the, only thing, the only thing I would like to add to, to what I've already uh, mentioned was if, if you find yourself in the wilderness— you're in good company, okay? And I'll show, I'll show you this here, right? Moses was drawn to the wilderness, and that's where he had his burning bush experience, right? These are the days of Elijah. Elijah, Obadiah, and all the prophets, they were hiding out in caves when you had wicked King Ahab and his wife Jezebel ruling Israel and, and just causing havoc, right? King David multiple times went to the wilderness. He was running away from Saul in 1 Samuel 23, 2 Samuel 15, he was on the run against his own son Absalom, right? John the Baptist, he was baptizing in the river. He, he even had, you know, the camel hair uh, clothing and was eating, you know, wild locusts and honey. And, and he was out of the wilderness, right? Yeshua was drawn into the wilderness by the Spirit. And that's where he was tested by our adversary. And, um, and, and we see the nation of Israel, you know, through the book of Exodus. I mean, they left Egypt, and the first thing they do is they go into the wilderness. And all throughout the book of Numbers, that's what we're talking about. But in Jeremiah, it says he's going to draw us out again. Hosea, we just read that. He's going to draw us out again. Matthew 24, Yeshua says, When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, let Ar and Judea flee. You're going to the wilderness. In Revelation, he says, for 1,260 days or 42 months. And that's really so he's, he's protecting his his people at that time, but but really it's it's where he's able to minister to them and and to give them a hope and to give them a promise and help them realize you can't rely you think you think that mark of the beast bought you a nice 
you know, bacon cheeseburger last week. Well, now you're out here and you got manna. You know, you, you don't want any of that stuff. You just only want him. And so I, I say the, the wilderness can be scary, right? It can be scary out there. And uh, but that's where he ministers. And, and that's where we find that we can rely on him. And, and that's when he really develops our trust. And so one day I do think we, we will at some point in his plan end up there at some point, and hopefully as a congregation. And so as we as we continue the study uh, in this book, uh, Numbers or Bamid Bar in the Wilderness, you know, I just my, my prayer is that we'll be encouraged to, to know that he is with us and he is strengthening us for a great purpose. So we have to be overcome with the spirit of fear, but we can have that spirit of like Joshua, you know, where he says, we will not be afraid. If Yahweh is with us, who could be against us, right? So uh, that that's that's my hope and prayer for all who are listening. And, and, um, and I appreciate the opportunity to be here today, Rob. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Kevin. It's been a joy seeing your face again and uh, hearing your wisdom and look forward to seeing you again next week and uh, continuing this reboot of Virtual House Church. All right. Well, well thank you very much. And, and Jake, it was great to meet you, and I look forward to studying with you more in the future. It was great to meet you too, Kevin. And uh, it's, it's cool to put a face to the story that I've heard Rob all right. tell all these years. <laughs> All right. Hey, well, you take care. Well, maybe one day I'll have a nice beard like yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to be part right. of the, be- the bearded crew. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't grow. I got too much Cherokee in me. It doesn't grow. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. We'll see you later. All right. All right, brother. Shabbat shalom, guys. Shabbat shalom. All right. Um, so uh, let me switch things around here just a little bit. Um, Jake, uh, do you see any questions in the chat room so far? Now, if, if we can, uh, you know, it's tempting to go into all kinds of rabbit trails, talking about yeah. you know all kinds of different things. So let's try to you know keep it to uh, uh, the the topic. So um, uh, one thing I, I see coming up, I know I saw one in there mention it, um, but it's this process of the firstborn um, and the redemption of the Levites and. I'd love to discuss that for a moment because it's something that I found very fascinating um, that I mentioned uh, er- earlier on when we first got started that I was looking into. But it's this, this numbering of, in Leviticus, or not Leviticus, Numbers, um, I believe it's chapter 3, but um, where the Levites are uh, basically taken in exchange for all the firstborn of Israel. And when we look at the numbers, it's a really fascinating uh, revealing thing that there, there's got to be some prophetic uh, significance to, and, and maybe you have some thoughts on this, uh, possibly, you know, a foreshadow of redemption. I know I saw that thrown out in the comments, but um, let me pull it, uh, pull up what verse I'm actually talking about here. Uh, but it's, um, so, I believe it's Numbers chapter 3. And uh, this is part of our portion here that we're doing. And uh, Numbers chapter 3, verse 42, And Moses numbered as the Lord commanded him all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and all the firstborn males by the number of names from a month old and upward of those that were numbered of them were twenty and two thousand two hundred and threescore and thirteen. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the cattle of the Levites instead of their cattle, and the Levites shall be mine, I am the Lord. And for those that are to be redeemed of the two hundred and threescore and thirteen of the firstborn of the children of Israel, which is that number that I find so fascinating, it was just 
200 and three score and 13 of the firstborn of Israel numbered higher than the 22,000 of the babies all the way to the old of the Levites. And then they had to basically pay five shekels apiece for this number that went above and beyond how many Levites there were. Hmm. So uh, the Levites basically saved uh, the 22,000 Levites saved them a bunch of shekels. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you think <clears throat> about if there was 10,000 Levites, they'd be paying, you know, 50,000 shekels for the, to make up that, that number difference um but uh and and thou shalt give the money wherewith the odd number of them is to be redeemed unto aaron and to his sons and moses took the redemption money of them that were over and above them that were redeemed by the levites uh, of the firstborn of the children of israel took he the money three thousand three hundred and three score and five shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary so uh, that's something I saw being brought up in the in the chat that maybe you have a, a thought on how it ties into this redemption parallel. Um, but God has always had a fixation on the firstborn. The firstborn is his. The firstborn mm-hmm. is his. And we see that even Yeshua had to be redeemed by Mary going up to the temple. Um, and I, I, I know there's a, a portion that talked about how uh, the firstborns, uh, really were, were meant to have this priestly role uh, in the family, in the, in the unit, before, of course, we see the Levites step in as that, as that replacement redemption of that firstborn role. And so uh, I'm done rambling, uh, but Rob, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I, I haven't actually given that a whole lot of thought, uh, at least not uh, recently anyway. Um, th- that You're right, there is this, this thing about the firstborn, and early on in our home Bible fellowship, we met a guy named Daniel who had taken a Nazarite vow. And now the priestly duties were for Levi. Uh, but if you were not of the tribe of Levi and you still wanted to facilitate things in the temple and do priestly type stuff, you had to take a Nazarite vow. Um, the problem with, if you consider it a problem, I don't know if maybe it's a problem or a blessing, I don't know. But if you try to take one today, there's no way to get out of it. Because you have to present yourself in front of a Levit- Levitical priest in order to get out of the uh, the um, um, commitment, and uh, he hasn't established the Levitical priesthood. You know, again, he's going to. We see that in the millennial reign that that's going to happen. Um, but un- until then, yeah, you can take a Nazarite vow, but you can't get out of it until you know you die. Uh, or, or the millennial kingdom starts in the Levitical priesthood that that Yahuwah will hand select. There, there, there are people who claim to be of the tribe of Levi are probably trying to set themselves up right now. But as I understand uh, prophecy, it says you know, Yahuwah says I'm going to select them. You know, w- when that day comes. Um, but anyway, he he had dedicated himself to the study of the scriptures and he sold all of his possessions. Everything he just lives totally on faith. He and his wife on the good graces of people taking him in. You know, he stays until, you know, he's worn out as welcome or whatever and has to move on. Um, and his his thing, if you will, was the Melchizedek priesthood. Like, what what is it? It's the order of Melchizedek. Uh, it, the, the Levitical priesthood was uh, 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 transitioned into the, the Melchizedek priesthood as we read Hebrews chapter 4 through 8. Um, and he was saying that you know, Adam is the first king priest. That's what a Melchizedek is, a king priest. He's the first king priest. That's why uh, Jose, um, Hebrews says he has no uh, uh, father or mother, no ancestry. That's why it prompts many people to think that Melchizedek in, uh, was a Genesis 14 
is a pre-incarnate Yeshua because they say, well, see, he has no father or mother. Um, well, if you believe that, then you believe Yeshua was ruling and reigning as a king on this earth over several kingdoms for an extended period of time before his incarnation. Uh, I reject that understanding of Melchizedek. Uh, I, I accept the understanding of Melchizedek that Adam was the first, and he had no, he's, his, he came out of dirt. So, you know, he has no father or mother. Um, Adam's the first Melchizedek, and it's supposed to pass on to the firstborn. But as you'll see, it never does until we get to Yeshua. Uh, it's always a second or even other. Um, so you have Cain born first, but it doesn't go to Cain. It, it, it right, uh, it goes to Abel. Of course, Cain kills Abel, then it goes to Seth. So he's the thirdborn in that case. Um, and then from Seth, it passes on. I forget who it goes to, after, you know, so, and so forth, until eventually gets to Methuselah. And Methuselah lives, overlaps Noah. So, uh, you know, there's people born in between, but uh, it passes down to Noah. And then uh, um, I believe Japheth was the oldest, was the firstborn. Um, and I think Ham was the youngest and Shem was in the middle. So he would be secondborn. Uh, and, of course, they make it through the flood and outlive Noah. So it passes down to Shem. And it is believed that Shem is the Melchizedek that Abraham encountered. In Genesis 14, there's there's rabbinic texts that uh, confirm that, and Joshua tells you that point blank, that Shem was the Melchizedek, Melchizedek that uh, Abraham encountered. So, and then when Shem dies, the mantle, if you will, is patent. There's many offspring from Shem till you get to Abraham. Those are all skipped over, and the Melchizedek passes on to Abraham. He becomes a king priest, which then gets uh, uh, Isaac's not the firstborn, right? Ishmael is. So then it gets passed on to Isaac. Uh, Jacob's not the firstborn, but, you know, it gets down to Jacob. Uh, Esau's born, and es Jacob comes out holding his heel, right? Heel grabber. So uh, it passes down to Jacob. Uh, and that's where the Melchizedek ends, because he has 12 children, which become the children of Israel. And we see later that the kingship gets splintered off into Judah, and the priesthood gets splintered off into Levi. So that's where it ends, and it doesn't come back together again until you get to Yeshua, which is why I maintain, because he's of the tribe of Judah, so he's not legally qualified to facilitate any kind of uh, priestly duty, like sacrifice, for instance. Um, in this case, he sacrifices himself. I'm of the opinion that when he said, I will not drink of this cup again until I drink it new with you, that's the requirement. The requirement for taking a Levitical priesthood is to set a duration, uh, for the time that you want to be uh, a, a, a Nazarite and uh, take a vow to abstain from the fruit of the vine uh, during that duration. And that's what he said. He's not going to drink it again until he drinks it anew with them, you know, in the kingdom. So he set a duration and made a vow to stop. So, and I believe he had to do that legally in order to do what he was going to do in the hours that followed. Um, and by the way, when he's being judged in front of uh, uh, the high priest, uh, the, you'll note the high priest rent his garment. Well, that nullifies your priesthood if you do that. So when the high priest nullified, when he rent his garment, he nullified his, he wasn't really a legitimate high priest anyway, John the Baptist was, but he was the, the puppet on the throne there, so to speak, in that regard. Uh, he nullified his priesthood, which, because I always wondered, why did Yeshua, I, I understand why he had to die, but I don't understand why he had to suffer for six hours. You know, why couldn't he just, you know, there's any number of ways you could kill a person. Why did it have to be 
suffering on a cross for six hours. And the conclusion I came to was he was the only officiating high priest at the time of Passover. So he was literally holding on as a priest, sacrificing himself as a lamb, while the lambs were being slain at the same time from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And when the no longer valid priesthood on the uh, temple uh, said, it is finished, which was the customary thing to say at the last sacrifice of the lamb, that was in Dolby surround sound stereo with Yeshua on the cross, who was the officiating high priest in the order of Melchizedek, because he's from Judah. And that's what Hebrews chapter 4 through 8 is all about. I mean, that's what it tells you. And people misinterpret. Uh, in fact, let's, uh, let's go ahead and go there. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8. Um, <clears throat> let me just punch this up here. Hebrews, oops, 8. And I'll share that for everybody here on YouTube. So you go to Hebrews 8. He says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. So he's summarizing right here. I believe Paul wrote this. But people debate that. But I believe Paul is the author of Hebrews. Whoever wrote Hebrews said, this is the sum of what I'm saying. Well, if I were to say this is the sum of what I'm saying, that begs the question, what have you been saying <laughs> prior? Well, that's why you got to go back to Hebrews chapter 4. And Hebrews 4 through 7 is all about the flawed and the problems of the Levitical priesthood and why there was needed a change in the Levitical priesthood. Uh, so he says, here's the sum. We have an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is necessary of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest. Not be a priest. Why? Because he's a Judas, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, meaning of the tribe of Levi. That's what the previous chapters are all about. We serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly image, uh, heavenly things, as Moses was admo admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make, it, make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mount. But now hath he ordained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. This is a flawed translation right here. King James. Uh, now, uh, Bible Gateway is, isn't showing you uh, italicized words, but if you have a King James Bible, you'll see that the the word covenant here is in italics. And that's because there's a problem there. That, that, that word isn't there. They inserted the word covenant here. In the sum of what he's saying, this is the sum of what I'm saying, the entire previous chapter is all about the problem with Levitical priesthood and why it had to be replaced. So if you are going to insert a word in the text, because that word is inserted, it shouldn't be covenant. It should be priesthood, which would say, for if that first priesthood had been faultless, then should no place been sought for a second priesthood, that being Melchizedek. For finding, and the proof of what I'm saying is the word them. If, if the word that was inserted here should have been covenant, this word should be it, for finding fault with it. No, it says for finding fault with them. Who's the them? The Levitical priesthood, with the previous four chapters we're talking about that he's summarizing here in Hebrews chapter 8. So, uh, 
you know that that's uh, I forgot what the <laughs> I took a rabbit trail here. Forgot what the original question was, but um, ba- oh, the firstborn issue. That's what I was addressing. Is that you know he, uh, Yeshua became the firstborn of many after that because he is the firstborn and he's the legitimate uh, king priest in the order of Melchizedek. Yeah, I think uh, it just is returning us back to what God had always intended for the nation and the people of Israel uh, with this whole firstborn concept. Is In Exodus 19.6, it says, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, and these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And then, of course, afterwards we have the whole kerfuffle with the golden calf, you know, them dedicating a feast day, dedicating a holiday uh, to Yahweh in their own way which eventually led to them um, uh, having a, a really bad day. <laughs> 3,000 were killed <laughs> uh, by the Levites. Definitely a bad and, day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and I, I think it's so fascinating that um, whenever you look at uh, what returning to the Torah, returning to the commandments of God and preaching and teaching them as a truth and as something that is beneficial and, and uh, you know great to apply to our lives, uh, that's it's returning back to this same concept of the nation of Israel was meant to be that people that went out to the whole world and revealed the ways and truths of God to the nations. And and what Israel did is they dropped the ball. They they handed it off to the Levites. The the Levites had to redeem that role of the priesthood, and and they started uh, basically licking their own wounds instead of going out and sharing those truths with the world. What they did was they started rebelling, turning away from God. And we see that the Levites were stepping into that role of, of uh, uh, mediators, uh, you know, and, and, and dealing with the sins and atoning for the sins of the people on a yearly basis. But God had never intended for that. He meant for all the people to be uh, bringing the, 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 the righteousness of his word to the nations. And what they did was they held it in, you know, and they held it in and, and they, they started to go wayward. Uh, but it's really cool that today believers... Um, are realizing uh, that the scripture is still true and they're wanting to return to those ancient paths um, because we have Yeshua as an example and he he's not a Levite but he's our mediator and, and it just ties back to that Melchizedek principle of, of it wasn't just um, the Levites uh, that God had intended but it was uh, just all men he wanted to be righteous and to be serving him, and um, and then we see that when Yeshua comes, uh, there was a, a problem with that Levitical priesthood, um, and so when Yeshua came and, and started to operate as a, a priest under the Melchizedek priesthood, uh, which was not even he was not even a Levite, but all of that is still uh, according to the commandments of God. He, he's not breaking commandments by operating as a priest, and I think that's what. Many Christians uh, today who have been deceived or, or, or led into a dispensational mindset of theology uh, is they look at Yeshua operating as a high priest somehow is breaking the very commandments that we see uh, in the Torah. And that's why all oh, those ceremonial commandments, oh, look, it's all done away. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's all done legally is the point I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh, yep. And then I think that's what Hebrews is bringing out for people. Uh, showing them that that this is all according to God's plan, um, and and He's not doing something 
that would justify breaking God's commandments, you know, a, a new priesthood doesn't mean the commandments changed. And I think that's a, a significance that people today are realizing um, in the whole word of God being true. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, just because there's a new priest or a new pastor that comes in your church, does that change the gospel? No. You just got a, a different person, you know, explaining things to you. Um, same thing, you know. That's why, you know, I get upset with the the translation. When I look at that, it's like when I saw that that was inserted, that the the word covenant was inserted in, in chapter 8. Let me switch back to that um, on the screen here. Uh <clears throat> Especially since, you know, you read the previous four chapters and it's all about the the priesthood, you know, and he says, this is the sum of what I'm saying. So, you know, he said, for if that first priesthood had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for a second for finding fault with them, them who the Levitical priesthood. And again, in verse 10, this, um, uh, let's see, in verse 10, now this is correct, covenant, in verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Who? the house of Israel, uh, this doesn't say this is the covenant I'm going to make with Christians. <laughs> if you become a Christian, if you believe in Yeshua as your Savior, uh, Romans chapter 7 through 11 tells you who your identity is. You have become grafted into the cultivated olive tree that is Israel. Uh, Ephesians 2, same thing. You were, and Galatians even talks about that, that you were once strangers to the covenants and the promises of the commonwealth of Israel. But now you're not. You know, you weren't once far off, but now you're drawn near. How are you drawn near? Well, you're adopted into that family. You're grafted into that family. So the covenant is only made with Israel. You, you, and that's why a lot of people will, will say, uh, well, I'm, I'm a Gentile believer. Well, that's an oxymoron. You can't be a Gentile believer. You can be a believer who is of the Gentiles, uh, and I believe that's the way King, John, King James renders it, the, the believers who are of the Gentiles were of the Gentiles. Uh, other modern translations will say Gentile believers. That's an oxymoron. A Gentile is somebody who is out of covenant. And uh, there's only one people group that is in covenant with Yahuwah, and that's Israel. Now, if you are of the natural tree that is Israel, the olive tree, that is described, the cultivated olive tree of Romans chapter 11, and you don't believe, if you reject Yeshua, then your branch is broken off. Okay, so you don't get a, you don't get a free pass just because you have blood ties to go back to Jacob. You know, uh, it, it, and if you uh, accept Yeshua, then you're grafted back in. You are a natural branch grafted back in. That's why Paul's like, hey, you know, if he's able to do that with, with natural branches, you know, both cut them off and put them in, don't get too proud that you were a wild olive tree that got grafted in. You know, he's just as able to <laughs> do things with you that he did with the the, the uh, cultivated olive tree. So you have to be either grafted in or adopted in with the, just this uh, synonymous, you know, just words to use to say, you better be in the, the, the tree of Israel because that's who's in covenant with Yahuwah. Uh, and so he says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the uh, wait a minute, just okay. Saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they will be to me a people. For they, sh- for they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest, all in the house of Israel that he has put their covenant in their hearts. Um, 
And it says, For I will be merciful to, to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Now, here again, King James and other translations says, And in that he saith a new covenant, where it is inserted there. That's in italics. That word was inserted here. It should be priesthood. Because if you say this is a new covenant that replaces the old covenant, that has become old, it says, In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxes old is ready to vanish away. This is where people say the law, the law has been, you know, it's old. That old thing has been banished. It's been abolished. It's been done away with. It's vanishing away. See, it says right there, my King Jimmy, old covenant. No. If you, if you put the word covenant here in this verse, you just nullified verse 10. Because verse 10 says he's going to put a new covenant in your heart. Oh, but uh, that covenant's been taken away. What? This is the covenant. <laughs> you know, uh, it's priesthood. Uh, it says, in that, he hath, in that he saith a new priesthood, he hath made the first old, first priesthood old. Now which decayeth and waxes old is ready to vanish away. All through the Torah and the prophets, we see that his Torah is forever. David calls it perfect. You know, how could something be perfect have flaws in it? You know, if you're going to say covenant, then you're going to have to nullify a whole lot of other writings in the Old Testament. Because, you know, we say um, in verse 7, right, for if that first covenant had been faultless, in other words, it's implying that it has faults if you use the word covenant. But all through the Torah, we see that it's perfect. We see David saying it's perfect. We have Psalm 119, you know. It's all perfect. It's perfect. So how can there be fault and perfection? There's not any fault and perf uh, perfection. The fault is in the people who were the Levites that is the sum of what he's saying in verse 1. So, you know, I just, I think, whew, we got to clear some of these things up um, to, to understand what, what's really going on here. And, you know, whether these translation errors are on purpose or, you know, were innocent mistakes. I don't know. I do see evidence of an agenda throughout the scriptures where people were certainly inserting things uh, like parenthetically, you know, uh, it was Mark chapter 7, I think. I think it's Mark 7. It says in parentheses, in saying this, Jesus declared all meats clean. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> it's not yeah. what, that's not what happened there. And that's an insertion. Uh, so, you know, we run into these kind of things. I did see a question in the chat room somebody earlier uh, and please if you're going to type a question type it in caps and if you're not typing a question please don't use caps this makes it easy for us to be able to see them uh, kind of jump off the page at us uh, when we're looking uh, somebody in the chat room wrote Stephen was stoned for bringing to light the Jews worship of the star of Remphan just like they did in the wilderness Remphan means Saturn so why do we worship on Saturn's day a day of sun worship no uh, your first part is correct. Stephen is talking about the Star of Remphan, and I, and I am in agreement that the Star of David is the Star of Remphan, and that we should have nothing to do with it. Israel should have nothing to do with it. Um, I'm in agreement with that. However, the fact that the day we now call Saturday is called that, uh, that, that doesn't really mean anything. Um, it, it's the seventh day of the week. S Saturday is the seventh day of the week. Now, I'm going to share something here. Uh, this was, again, on my um, Ephraim Awakening webpage. Um, let me switch that over. There we go. <clears throat> um, this was something I wrote December 10th, 2015. 
lunar or weekly Sabbath. And I know some of our brothers and sisters here may be doing the lunar Sabbath deal. And I'm not going to make that any of that kind of calendar stuff an issue on the virtual house church. Uh, some people believe the Sabbath begins, as I talked about at the beginning of this broadcast, on uh, sunset on Friday, uh, which was something that I believed when I first started the virtual house church. Today, I, I don't really hold to that. I believe that the day starts at sunrise. And uh, some people believe the Sabbath is only from sunrise to sunset. And some say, no, it's the full 24 hours between sunrises. I am currently of the opinion that I should be doing Sabbath from sunrise on Saturday to sunrise on Sunday. Um, and sometimes I even still start just get a head start on, a, on sunset on Friday just to be safe in case I'm wrong because uh, I just it's not out of legalism it's simply I want to obey him and I want to understand these things and you know I'm not dogmatic on these things and some people get really wrapped around the axle about that um, and there are other people here who uh, are following the like the Enochian calendar and uh, they're uh, marking sab- Sabbaths off of the new moon and counting seven days and, and doing you know doing it like that. I still believe that it is the seventh day of the week, um, and so uh, you know we observe it here on Saturday. Uh, but in this blog right here, I was talking about the difference between the lunar and weekly Sabbath, and I said, when is the Sabbath? I know this is a debate currently raging in some circles. Is the Sabbath based on the moon? Or has it always been about the consistent seventh day of the week? Well, consider the fact that Saturday, what we call Saturday today, uh, is Shabbat in Hebrew, Sabato or Sabaton in Greek. Uh, and then when you look at Aramaic, Armenian, all these other countries I've got listed here, I'm not going to go through these all, but you'll see that the word that they have, the word that they use to call the day we now refer to as Saturday, uh, they refer to it as either a derivative of the Hebrew word Shabbat or the Greek word Sabaton. Uh, Sabaton. Uh, so you know, multiple cultures all around the world. And I, when I was looking into this issue, because I came up with the same questions a lot of people do, is like, oh, how do we know that the day that we now call Saturday is in fact the seventh day? And what I have found looking back through any kind of historical record that I've been able to to look at really is that the while the years and the the dates have been jacked with and messed around with i i see no evidence uh, through multiple cultures that the understanding of the days of the week has ever been changed um people still understand and you can go pick a culture they still understand the days of the week now whatever they choose to call those days of the week you know that that's another issue uh my contention is the day that we have now adopted you know, from the Romans to call Saturn's day or Saturday, uh, just like Thursday is Thor's days, you know, from the, uh, Norse. Um, we, we, in in our American English language, um, have adopted the names of the week from various cultures of antiquity. But the fact is, whatever you choose to call those days of the week, they are, they fall in line with first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh day. And so today is the seventh day. We just happen to call it uh, Saturday. There are plenty of other reasons to accept that the Sabbath is and always was on the day we now call Saturday, but I can't help but think all these nations didn't just coincidentally use a word for the seventh day that just so happens to sound like and or derive from Shabbat, Sabbaton, or Sabbath. Seems to me this may also answer the questions of the lunar Sabbath idea. Are all these nations wrong? I don't think so. 
I know plenty of people will disagree with the above, but after studying the Lunar Sabbath model, the history of multiple cultures just didn't seem to support it. The Passion Week seems to become quite, uh, either quite awkward or completely falls apart too. And in some cases, like when the conjunction lasts two days, you also end up with either an eight-day work week or double and or double back-to-back Sabbaths where... Uh, you know, th- this is the problem I had with the Lunar Sabbath idea. Sometimes you had eight-day work weeks. Someday, sometimes you had two-day work weeks. And I see Scripture says you were work, work six days. You have a six-day work week and the seventh day of Sabbath. So uh, these are some of the early reasons why I rejected the uh, Lunar Sabbath deal, uh, which would mean you work for six days, then rest for one, but the following week work for five days and rest for two days. Yet with the exception of Moedim appointed times wherein you would have a high Sabbath, a Sabbath rest apart from the standard weekly Sabbath, we have no such command to work less or more than six days. Plus, the count of seven days started at creation with day one, period. But if you go off the moon, your count would have to start on day four because the moon didn't show up until day four. Moses repeatedly states that the Sabbath is in recognition of creation and how Yahuwah rested on day day seven, not day 11, which would be seven days after the moon showed up. And the argument concerning the name of the seventh day is a red herring. The Hebrews didn't have names for the days. They were numbered. The names other nations gave those days have changed over time, and now we call the seventh day Sabbath, or Saturday. But to suggest that we are honoring slash worshiping Saturn, or the sun god, is just sheer nonsense. If you go that route, then the lunar Sabbath folks are worshiping Luna, the Roman moon goddess, or Thor, if you if your Sabbath happens to end up on Thor's day or Woden's day, Wednesday. So it's really just a stupid argument, if you ask me, with all due respect. Overall, I finally came to the conclusion that the lunar Sabbath idea just doesn't work. So needless to say, I'm more than convinced that the seventh day is and always was on the day we now call Saturday. And sorry, but Constantine had no authority to change it to Sunday. Um, this video here... I'll go ahead and play it. It's uh, it's only three minutes long. Can you hear this? Can you hear it? No, it's not coming through on my end. Uh, it might be passed through the audience. I'm not sure if Skype will share. Okay. Another week of observation, and the beavers were out every day, busy as usual, Sunday through Friday, at about the same time every day. And then came Saturday. And just like the first week, 
all was quiet again. This continued on week after week, month after month, summer and winter, with the same results. these beavers for about um, 16 years. He's been getting to be kind of an expert on beaver behavior, at least with this family of beavers. They seem like normal animals, except we've never once seen them out on Saturdays. Notice something interesting about beavers. You see how close their front arms and shoulders are? All right, that's uh, the end of that. But I just thought that was, uh, was kind of really cool. Uh, you know, we say busy beaver, right? Because we understand beavers are they're workers. I mean, they go out and build stuff. And uh, yeah. we, we also say things like uh, uh, busy bees. Um, because bees, you know, get busy doing things too. And uh, I don't remember if it was the same guy or somebody else, but I, I ended up going down sort of this rabbit trail, pardon the pun, <laughs> of uh, nature watchers. And they were pointing out various creatures within creation that instinctively stop working on the day we now call Saturday. So, you know, uh, you know, even uh, Solomon says, hey, you know, watch the ant. You know, watch. I don't know if ants stop working on Saturday or not, but, you know, the, the idea is look at nature. You know, uh, there's like this instinctive understanding. They didn't fall. We did. Humans fell. Um, and so animals that you know, I don't know if this is the case with every animal that would we would consider workers. But uh, certainly with beavers, I, I've, and I've seen uh, other confirmations of what that guy was pointing out. Because I was looking, I was like, is this just this one family of beavers near, near this guy, or is, is this something that they actually do? And I found that, at least in the stuff that I was looking at, they, they did. So I'm going, okay, well, I mean, be, between all the nations around the world, not all, but many of the nations around the world, calling the, the seventh day either derivative of the Shabbat in Hebrew or the Sabbaton in uh, Greek, um, the, the the day that they we call Saturday, they were calling, you know, a derivative of of uh, those words, and the fact that bees and beavers were stopping work on that day also, you know, to me, yeah, I just thought what well, that's a really cool confirmation in my mind. I'm not knocking people who think it's you know the lunar Sabbath or whatever, but I just thought that was really cool. I I would like to uh, just do something since this is virtual house church reignited, you know, and we're we're doing it on the Sabbath, and uh, this principle of the Sabbath is something that a lot of believers um, in the world today, uh, maybe they're keeping church on Sunday, they don't know if the Sabbath commandment is still something that applies to them, what is the church's scriptural authority even to have changed Sabbath, you know, keeping a seventh day rest to uh, replacing it with a, a Sunday worship um, service, uh, what is the scriptural authority? And if I can, Rob, I'm going to share my screen. It'll take two minutes to break down the scriptural authority of the church 
to change Sabbath to uh, <laughs> Sunday. So uh, I'm going to share my screen real quick here. And all you have to do is, can you see my screen, Rob? Uh, yeah, I see. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm jumping over here to Blue Letter Bible, and this is a great resource for people out there who might want to uh, do a deeper study. And what you can do is you can type the word Sabbath into the search bar right here. All right. And in, Sa uh, in the word Sabbath, and of course, there's, you know, some different uh, phraseology and stuff. So the, the number is not going to be exactly accurate, but it's at least 137 times uh, in the scripture. You have verses talking about the Sabbath, referring to the Sabbath, the importance of the Sabbath. Uh, some of my favorite when you get into the prophetic verses uh, are in Isaiah. Um, also, the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord, to be a servant, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant. Uh, and when you keep reading on uh, in Isaiah 56, you see that his salvation is revealed to them. Uh, uh, these are strangers. And, and all these other prophetic verses talking about the significance of the, ver of the Sabbath day, the importance of the Sabbath day, why it matters to, to Yah to keep the Sabbath day, uh, hundreds, over a hundred verses on the Sabbath day. Now, I want you to do the same word search on uh, first day of the week. So <laughs> let's just type first day. All right, guys. Uh oh. Um, oh, oops, sorry. I'm I'm typing uh, the the wrong word. Um, in the uh, in the New Testament. I apologize. We we'll have to do this search in the New Testament, <laughs> since that's where we we get all the. Um, uh, the justification from church pastors to keep Sunday over a Sabbath or a replacement of Sabbath. So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, only search the New Testament. So we're going to start here in um, Matthew, and we're going to go all the way to Revelation. So the this term, first day, is only found about 34 times in 16 verses in your New Testament. And uh, several of these are not in reference to the first day of the week. Mm -hmm. Some of them are referring to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Some of them are referring to, um, uh, you know, these biblical feasts. So we have Matthew 28, a reference to the first day of the week. We have uh, later on, Jesus was ris risen early the first day of the week. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene. And you have several other examples, but I've boiled it down to, in general, there's only about eight verses, eight times in the New Testament that discuss the first day of the week or what we could possibly con contrive as Sunday. Um, and none of those are a commandment to change the Sabbath. None of those eight verses are a commandment to no longer keep a Sabbath and instead keep a first day. Instead, it's just the context of uh the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Day of First Fruits, uh, and and uh, also a, a point where Yeshua appeared to them. It says here um, in, uh, in John, uh, at the same evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled, the fear of the Jews came. Jesus stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. So of all these examples, I don't see one place where the Sabbath is done away with, commanded to be no longer kept, uh, justified as a you know a freebie of, oh, you don't have to worry about that one anymore. Um, but instead, I see hundreds of verses all throughout the scriptures of examples of people keeping the Sabbath, 
the reasons of keeping the Sabbath, and there are many examples in the New Testament of apostles still keeping the Sabbath. So um, you can even compare the first day of the week uh, with the Sabbath, uh, Sabbath term found in the New Testament, if we were just searching uh, the word Sabbath in the New Testament. And, uh, and if we were to do that, there's, there's nearly 50-plus verses that mention the Sabbath in the New Testament versus those eight verses, once again, that mention the first day of the week. So what is the scriptural authority? Even a layperson, even just an average Joe like me, can go onto these Bible softwares and do a, a number crunch and realize that uh, this tradition of keeping Sunday instead of Sabbath uh, is something that uh, really has to be read into the text. There was no commandment from God, uh, and, um, and, and so this is something that we have to be aware of whenever we talk about the Sabbath is uh, a lot of people... You know, they would say, well, what's wrong with keeping Sunday? There's nothing wrong with worshiping on any day of the week. But the problem is, is whenever you take a tradition of man and you use it, just like in Mark 7 that you mentioned earlier, uh, in that context, they were elevating the washing of hands to the command level, the level of commandment of God. And so in vain, they were teaching traditions. Uh, and instead, they were causing people to break commandments. Uh, because they were elevating traditions above the commandments. And that's what we're doing today, is we're elevating a tradition of, of keeping a Sunday service above something that's found in Exodus 20. Uh, the, the very verse that says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, rest and uh, do no work therein, that's something that a lot of people, they might have justified ignoring or replacing, but there is an importance to it. And so... Uh, just by a quick look in Blue Letter Bible there, you can see the scriptural justification. Yeah, uh, you can undo your screen share there, or we're looking at your Facebook page. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sorry about that, guys. <laughs> I, I clicked over there. I, I, uh, um, anyways, uh, so that was just a little show I wanted to uh, show you, show everybody to be able to do that Sabbath versus first day of the week word search in their Bibles. Yeah, um, and I did a, a study on that also um, a while back. Um, it was called uh, Satan Sabotaging the Sabaton. Uh, again, that's on, it's also on my Facebook page, but it's on Ephraim Awakening. Um, Satan Sabotaging the Sabaton. And uh, this comes in the, the deal where we're uh, talking about earlier about uh, italicized words. W whenever you see first day of the week, you'll see the word day is in italics. And I was like, why would they do that? Why would they have a word for day, both in Hebrew and in Greek? Why would they do that? And when I went and looked it up, and there's only like uh, uh, four or five times, I think, that talks about first day of the week in the sense of uh, what we would consider Sunday and the disciples meeting together on Sunday. And in uh, each time, it, the word was... Uh, Italicized. I'm like, what? What's going on there? So I, I went on. Uh, you could do this yourself. Go on Google Translate, and in the English, you know, put English on one side and Greek on the other side, and you just type in first day of the week. Then you'll get first day of the week in Greek. Uh, punch in Sunday, and you'll get the Greek word for Sunday. Punch in Sabbath, and you'll get the word Sabaton in Greek. Well, then if you go punch in uh, first day of the week. Into the into the into the translate, it's going to tell you Miaton Sabaton is the first of the Sabbath or one time on Saturday. <laughs> I mean, you could just do it for yourself. 
these these are scriptures. Uh, uh, at the dawn of the first day of the week, one, two, three, four, five, six, okay, seven references. In every case, it has nothing to do with Sunday. Our translators inserted it. It's the word sabaton, which is Sabbath, as we pointed out. Um, everywhere it's translated as Sabbath. And the phrase right there being miaton sabaton, I called my friend Peter up, which one day I'm going to get him on the show with us uh, to discuss these things. But, you know, I love going to him because he grew up in Greek, uh, in Greece. He speaks Greek fluently. And so he'll never have a dog in the hunt, you know, when I call him. He doesn't even know why I'm asking the question. I'll just ca- I'll call him up out of the blue and say, hey, Peter, what does whatever I say mean in Greek? And he'll just give me the answer. So one time I called him up. I said, Peter, um, w- what does the phrase miaton sabaton mean? And he, without skipping a beat, without even thinking about it, he goes, one time on Saturday? <laughs> I was like, whoa, dude. Okay, well, you need to go look because, you know, he has his Greek Bible and stuff, too. I'm like, go look. In the, and he's like, why did they change it? Uh, it's a very really good question. Why did they change it? They also have a word for uh, seven, which is hep, hep, hepta. And if you were to say the seventh day or, or um, uh, hebdoma, or I forget what it was, uh, days of the week, seventh day or whatever it be, uh, whatever you see here. Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce all that. But anyway, it's a rather lengthy blog. I'm not going to go through all that, but just to sort of back up what you're saying. Yeah, there is no justification whatsoever for changing the Sabbath uh, from Saturday to Sunday, and not even including in your New Testament where it says first day of the week, because it doesn't say that. <laughs> it doesn't say first day of the week. It says miaton sabaton, which means it can mean one of two things. It could be one time on Saturday or first of the Sabbaths. Uh, and what I found was interesting is many times when the phrase first day of the week is used, it just so happens to be in the time period between Passover and Pentecost, which is the time when you count Sabbaths. I mean, it's the only time you count Sabbaths. You, you count Sabbaths between pa- uh, Passover there uh, until you get to um, Pentecost, seven Sabbaths. So uh, the first of the Sabbaths, when you go and look, it's like Paul is talking about, you know, he must by all means get there for the feast or whatever. You know, you'll see references before the first time of the week or even the case where Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb. Well, when when was that? It was after Passover on your way to the first of the Sabbaths leading up to Pentecost. So uh, whether you use the the translation first of the Sabbaths or one time on on Saturday, either way, you don't end up with Sunday. Um, uh, the Catholics changed it, and they made it. They f- they forbid anything to do with what they called Jewish holidays, including the Sabbath, and made it a death penalty to c- celebrate things like Passover, which is why you know Chris- Christendom ended up adopting things like Christmas and Easter, which were directly lifted from paganism, sun god worship, uh, and superimposed over Christianity, which Deuteronomy tw- chapter twelve forbids. So, really, I think it's tied to Satan has come to still kill and destroy, right? And it and it's the most beneficial and beautiful things in the Scripture that he wants to have veiled from believers' eyes, that he wants to hide from the the people of the world, so that uh, we're not keeping Yah's Sabbath. And and if we're not keeping the weekly Sabbath, it's a good chance we're not keeping the yearly Sabbaths right. uh, that really paint a picture, a, a beautiful picture of the Messiah. Uh, a prophetic picture of what's coming in the future uh, and, and what has been accomplished in the past. Uh, all of these things tie into, you know, some of these uh, topics like Sabbath or or the feasts that 
that really uh, have been attacked through theology and doctrine that would justify ignoring it completely. But I find that whenever people start to apply these things, th these things that have been justified as done away with or not part of uh, everyday Christian's life or, or as something that is legalism or bondage, I've seen in my own life, and, and I can speak for myself, but uh, blessing and, and rest and uh, being able to uh, take advantage of something in the Scripture uh, that in the past I, I had no idea that this was an amazing blessing to keep the Sabbath, to be able to focus on, on Yah and my, my family. And, and I think that's what Satan's whole purpose is, is because he wants us to go, go, go all week long, never stop, never have a chance to think um, about our Creator. And, uh, and it just so happens that there's a commandment that says, hey, this is the time where you stop doing your pleasure and, and you focus on, on the, the, the Creator, on the Father's instructions and on your family and the things that are important. Um, so that, that's why I see that this attack has gone to veil some of these beautiful things. And some other things, for example, that are veiled that we learn about by reading the Torah portions are uh, Leviticus 11. What does Yod determine as clean and unclean foods for our consumption? Uh, what does it mean to eat something unclean? Well, it, it means you're going to be putting something in your body that's going to be bringing a curse. And, and we often see that science has proven back the scriptures uh, that certain animals cause inflammation and have proteins that are not absorbable by the human body. Uh, shellfish causes inflammation in a very large percentage of people. Uh, pork is the first thing the doctors tell you to stop eating, yet when people look at the scriptures and see Yah's commanded, hey, do not put that in your body, in your temple. Uh, when people disregard that, they, they suffer the curse. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's that's why it's such a beautiful thing that Yah's given us these commandments, the, the Torah, and it's so important to go through it and study it and, and draw out the truths in there because they're still true today. And while we might not understand them, by applying them to our lives, we can we can reap these, these physical uh, 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 results of just obeying, we're going to be able to see deeper aspects of our Creator's character, and and it's through just studying, you know, week by week and learning more and more about who He is through His Word. That's how we can look more like Him, and and sometimes it's a good thing for us because we're not we're not uh, working seven day, you know, twenty four seven. Instead, we're I I'm gonna change uh, this little area of my life. I'm gonna rest a little bit, and because of that, there's all these other things that start to grow out of a, a mindset of obedience. Of I just want to do what he says because it's true, and I think that's what faith is: is it's saying God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if He gave us all these instructions, uh, then they're they're going to have an amazing impact on our lives when we start to. To walk them out how to love God and how to love your neighbor and then we learn in numbers of course in this portion that people want to do their own thing they don't like the the mindset of submission that that it takes to uh, just simply give a give up on our own way of looking at right and wrong and just simply accept that the Word of God is true and and I think that's what I can I can say has really helped me in my walk is is I can't figure it out, and I'm going to continually make mistakes, um, but the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to lead you into, into these truths, 
and to bring in remembrance the things that God's already said and commanded. And whenever, whenever you have that operating in your life, you know, it's just this process of obedience growing as you walk it out. And that's why we do studies like this, Torah portions, to see how the Israelites are dropping the ball and how today we can maybe not make the mistakes they did. Absolutely, brother. Amen to that. We got about four minutes left of the broadcast, so I apologize to anybody out there that we didn't get to your your comments or questions. Uh, we'll try to get to them next week or whatever if we can. Posted the link just a minute ago in the chat room to the uh, Hebrews 8 uh, passage, the blog that I was talking about, Hebrews 8. It's a blog I wrote, uh, Paul and the Hebrews 8 uh, Conspiracy. Post another link in the chat room right now to the Satan sabotaging the Sabaton dealing with the issue of the Sabbath. And there's a ton of other articles that you can look at on that site. Um, in the, you can use a search uh, bar there. It should help you out. Um, one last thing that I wanted to point out regarding the Torah portion before we go. Um, let me go back to Virtual House Church here. <clears throat> um, again, virtualhousechurch.com is the website for the study if you guys didn't have a chance to do it yet. Uh, you can get the workbook there by clicking on that link if you want. Um, these are past studies that we did 2014 uh, well the, uh, the video I made for that and 2017 through uh, Now You See TV in this case it looked like Steve Mutria was uh, subbing for me that day uh, it looks like you were on there with him too there Jake um, and what I these commentaries right here are really good additional Torah study commentary by uh, Ardell uh, from yourlivingwaters.com usually fantastic really good studying if you want to continue uh, with your own study on you know by yourself um, the workbooks have three simple questions I also have on the website here to help stimulate conversation you know for yourself as well as if you have people that you want to gather with at your house maybe have a home Bible fellowship you go through the same thing we did and the, the simple questions are how does this week's Torah portion relate to the half Torah and Brit Hadashah portions, or in other words, the prophets in the New Testament? How do they relate? What did you find most interesting about this week's reading? Write whatever your answer is for that. And what is the general theme of this reading, and how does it apply to our lives today? You can answer those questions. You know, these are just uh, thought starters, really. But I'll end with this. When we get the meaning of the tribes, when you look up their names, I thought this was really cool. Uh, th this is the order of the names that are given there, uh, the meaning of the names of the 12 tribes in the listed order. Um, Reuben's name means Sia, Son, Simeon, Harkin, and Listen, etc. When you string those together in the order that they're given, put j the definitions of their names together in a, a paragraph, this is what you end up with. See a son, hearken and listen, he shall be praised, for he will bring a reward. Dwelling with me, I shall be doubly fruitful, causing me to forget... Son of my right hand, judge happily the invader who wrestles with me or with you. That's what the meaning of those names uh, are. And we also have an interesting lineup in Revelation 7, 4 through 8. But you'll notice the order that is given in Revelation 7 is not the same as the order given here. The, 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 a lot of the same names, but the order has changed. And whenever you see that happening, I, I submit that I haven't seen a case where it's not that this isn't true, but uh, I don't know that it is always true, but I haven't seen any case where it's not true. Many times there's like a hidden message there that when you see names put together and then you see those same names put in a different order, it's because it's changing uh, the message. And in this case, 
we have a lot of the same names here, but in a different order. And the message changes to, He shall be praised. See a son, my fortune invader, happily wrestling, causing us to forget. Hearken and listen. Join to him. He will bring a reward. Dwelling with us, Yahuwah has added the son of his right hand. Just thought that was pretty cool. So, uh, well, that's it, man. Brings us right to the top of the hour, 4 o'clock. Two hours. So we'll try to keep it to two hours so people can do whatever else they want to do on their Shabbat, rest, <laughs> or go to any other studies they might have. But hey, Jake, this was awesome, man. Thanks so much for for co-hosting with me. And uh, yes, yeah, it's been great, Rob. Uh, great to go through the scriptures and and uh, great to be doing virtual house church again. Virtual house church reignited. Yeah, I don't know if this is two point oh, three point oh, or four point oh. I don't have to go back and look. We did so many of them. But, uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for joining us this week for Virtual House Church. Again, the scriptures for this week's study are on the screen right now. And um, we'll see you back next time. Keep an eye out for whatever I decide to put up next to my YouTube channel because I'm kind of doing a lot of stuff these days. And Oh, and by the way, one more thing. Uh, Jake has agreed to join me for do- doing a, a reboot of Quest for Truth Reloaded. Um, and Quest for Truth Reloaded, was uh, basically taking a look at uh, the shows that Doug Hamp and I did uh, back in 2013 and 14. And let me put that up on the screen for you. <clears throat> Virtual House Church is, I mean, excuse me, Quest for Truth is Quest the number four, quest4truth.net. And uh, we did it for about nine episodes where well, what you did was you watched the episode that Doug Hamp and I did. You watched that first. And then, uh, in this case, it was uh, uh, John Pounders, and I think John Hall joined us a few times, uh, were co-hosting with Doug Hamp and I. And basically the idea was, well, let's revisit whatever we were talking about in this episode. Do I still think the same way? Did did my opinions and views change on some of these things, as many of them indeed have since 2013? And fielding questions from the audience. So... uh, uh, We've still got to figure out what day is going to work out best for it, but uh, Jake and I have already discussed it, and uh, we're excited to restart that uh, probably very soon. So keep an eye out for that as well. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. Shabbat shalom.